Hello and welcome to The Hannah Hundle Show. I'm your host, Hannah Hundle, and The Hannah Hundle Show is a syndicated program. Here on The Hannah Hundle Show, we feature the world's foremost experts for groundbreaking discussion within their respective fields, spanning medicine, science, technology, business, politics, policy, law, and more. Join me, your host, Hannah Hundle, on a mission to unpack and understand how contemporary high-impact issues are being tackled by the world's most influential leaders. For today's episode, I'm happy to bring you an installment in our 2020 U.S. presidential series, as we have an interview with Democratic candidate Seth Moulton, the current representative for Massachusetts' 6th Congressional District. Representative Moulton toured Iraq four times as part of the United States Marine Corps. He is part of the New Democrat Coalition and was once named as a young global leader by the World Economic Forum. He has come out in favor of marijuana legalization, amped up gun control, the Green New Deal, and a $15 per hour minimum wage. We're going to be talking about these policies and more in our conversation today. Please join me now in welcoming to the program, Representative Moulton. So, Representative Moulton, I wanted to begin by asking about your reasoning for wanting to enter the race at this time. You're currently representing Massachusetts 6th Congressional District. Why do you want to serve on the national stage? I believe we have to beat Donald Trump, and I think he's going to be a lot harder to beat than many Democrats like to think. And to do so, we have to build a coalition that includes everybody in the Democratic Party, can't leave anybody else, uh, plus those independent Obama-Trump voters and even some disaffected Republicans. And that's hard to do, but I've done it in the most difficult circumstances. That was my job on the ground, leading troops in combat in Iraq. And I'm the only person in the race with that experience. My job as an infantry platoon commander was to fundamentally take this remarkably diverse group of Americans, people from all over the country with different backgrounds, different religious beliefs, different political beliefs, and get them united behind a common mission to serve America. That's exactly what we need from our nominee to beat Donald Trump. It's also the kind of unifying leadership that we need from our next president to actually accomplish all the things that we'd like to do. So you mentioned your military service, aiding your skills and coalition building. Does it also bear on your foreign policy and national security positions for the country? And if so, how? Well, absolutely. Um, as the only combat veteran in this race, while we're in the middle of the longest war in American history, or if I'm president, hopefully coming to the end of it, I think that perspective matters. I don't think it should be a litmus test. You don't have to be a combat veteran to be uh, president. Uh, but I do think that my unique experience uh, in that regard is useful in this race, both for taking on Donald Trump, who, of course, is a draft dodger, and I would not hesitate to point that out on the debate stage against him, uh, but also because uh, we have a lot of national security threats in, in America today uh, that we haven't addressed. Uh, today on Capitol Hill, we heard uh, Robert Mueller testify about what he saw as one of the greatest attacks on American democracy that he's ever seen in his career. And this is a man who's uh, fought in combat himself as a Marine, uh, mm -hmm. someone who has worked at the Justice Department, led the FBI. He's seen a lot in his career, and yet he thinks Russia's attack uh, is as, as bad as it gets. And yet we've done nothing in response, nothing to prevent them from undermining uh, our next election in 2020, which I'm sure they're intent on doing. We also face a rising threat from China. China is stealing our jobs and military secrets through the Internet every single day. And again, we don't really have a strategy to address it. 
many of my Democratic colleagues want to just go back to the way things were. They talk about restoring NATO to uh, its, its existence prior to when Trump started to take it apart. But NATO is a good example of why that's not good enough, because NATO was designed in 1949 at a time when we never imagined Russia would be attacking us through the Internet. And yet that's the most prescient threat that we face today. So we have to totally modernize our national security to meet a new generation of threats. And I think it takes the credibility of someone who has been in combat to also make the tough cut to our uh, defense establishment, uh, things like the old bulky weapon systems that we just don't really need anymore, uh, to be able to not only pay for modernization, but invest more money in diplomacy. My bottom line is that the national security strategy of the United States should be to win wars without fighting them. In some ways, it's a failure of American diplomacy every time we do need to go to war. Of course, what we're doing right now is the exact opposite. We're fighting wars without winning them. And uh, that's something that I would change. Mm -hmm. And in addition to calling President Trump a draft dodger, you called him racist numerous times and have called for his impeachment. And while many of the Democratic candidates on the field right now have expressed their grievances, certainly, about President Trump, most have fallen short of putting out a rallying cry for impeachment just yet. Why is calling specifically for impeachment something you are insistent about at this time? Because it's simply the right thing to do. Uh, The leadership in our party has made a very eloquent argument for why the politics of impeachment might be against us, uh, the polls uh, mm-hmm. aren't totally in our favor. But, you know, how about just doing the right thing? I didn't swear an oath to protect and defend uh, the politics of my party. I swore an oath to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States. In fact, it's the exact same oath word for word that I swore as a United States Marine. Mm-hmm. And when the president breaks the law, there's a very simple procedure. You hold impeachment proceedings. In fact, Robert Mueller made that very clear because he said that he did not feel he had the authority to prosecute the president, even though he clearly did not uh, clear him of uh, of uh, uh, of the crimes that he's uh, alleged to have committed. Uh, he did not exonerate Trump. Um, the charges of obstruction of justice are are severe, uh, and of course, the uh, Trump has violated other things like the emoluments clause uh, in the Constitution, which basically means he's using the office to his benefit. All of these are impeachable offenses, and I think that if we refuse to take on the responsibility of doing that as a party because we're trying to make some political calculations of the next election, it it will come back to haunt us politically, but it also is fundamentally just the wrong thing to do on principle. Laws don't matter unless they're enforced. Uh, We won the House of Representatives, something I played a huge part in, uh, winning back the House by uh, campaigning for people in key swing districts, especially a group of veterans that I supported across the country who won, actually, you know, the the candidates I supported uh, won over half the seats that we flipped. So uh, my effort had a massive impact on taking back the House. And it was very clear why we did it. We took back the House to hold the president accountable. And yet now our Democratic Party leadership uh, refuses to do so. I think that's a grave mistake. Uh, When my nine-month-old daughter grows up and you know, maybe she goes to Harvard someday and she uh, reads about this in the textbooks and her textbooks are, uh, I probably won't have textbooks, mm. but um, online mm. textbooks, you know, um, 20 years from now. I want her to be able to look back on this time and say the Democratic Party did the right thing. We stood up for the Constitution. We stood up for the rule of law and we held the president accountable. And if we're not willing to even have hearings on impeachment, not even willing to have that debate, 
then we're failing in our constitutional patriotic duty. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about some policy issues as well. So healthcare, you've been vocal about mental health being part of the discussion on healthcare policy proposals. Tell me about what troubles you with the way that the system handles mental health today and how can we integrate it better into each individual's basic healthcare? Well, you're asking the right question because <clears throat> it's pretty amazing that you know you can have a problem with your ankle or your arm, you yeah. can uh, stub a toe and, and you don't have any qualms about going and getting help. And yet, if you have an issue uh, in your head, all of a sudden, there's this huge stigma against um, against getting treated, and and that's wrong. Uh, these are health problems, uh, just like physical health problems, and I'm really trying to change that. Uh, first of all, by becoming the first presidential candidate in American history to talk about dealing with mental health mm-hmm. myself when I shared mm-hmm. my story of um, you know dealing with and surmounting post-traumatic stress coming back from uh, yeah. from the war. There are plenty of presidents who have dealt with mental health issues, um, famously Abraham Lincoln and Ulysses Grant, for example. Uh, but I think talking about it from a position of leadership is is important in trying to change the stigma. I've also introduced a, uh, the most ambitious mental health care proposal of not only any candidate in this race, but I think any presidential candidate in history, uh, which is to make it routine to get annual mental health checkups for everybody in the military, to set the example for the rest of the country, then extend it to every high schooler in the country. Uh, a place where mental health issues are, are skyrocketing. And finally, to establish a three-digit 511 or 611 code uh, for anybody in America to be able to call and speak immediately to a mental health care professional. But the bottom line is we have to make mental health care as routine as physical health care. Uh, you don't have to, you know, you're not ashamed to tell someone, oh, I'm going for my annual physical. It's not like people say, oh, my gosh, what's wrong with you? Uh, and yet, if you were to say, well, I'm going for a mental health checkup, I think the reaction would be quite different. We need to change that in America, and it will make a massive difference in people's lives. Mm-hmm. And in terms of making a difference in people's lives, right now, the opioid epidemic is ravaging this country. So what about Big Pharma? You know, in one of your recent tweets regarding the opioid epidemic, you invoked Big Pharma. Do you see Big Pharma as the key linchpin of this epidemic? And if so, how would you want to hold them accountable? Well, Big Pharma is a huge part of this problem. I mean, they've been uh, selling these uh, drugs um, in unbelievable quantities to communities across the um, across the uh, the country, and um, they're far more dangerous than they claim. And so, we have to hold them accountable. And frankly, uh, we need some of their money in holding them accountable to to deal with the effects of um, of this epidemic. It's not just big pharma, of course. Uh, mental health care is part of the issue. Uh, we need to make mm-hmm. sure people are getting the mental health care that they need because sometimes people become uh, addicted to opioids uh, because they can't see a therapist. Um, we need to make sure that the criminal justice system is actually taking care of, of people who have addiction, which is a, a medical problem, and not just putting them in prison and offering them no treatment at all. So there are many facets to this uh, huge challenge facing America. Uh, but it goes deep and it hits every community. You know, it's not a, a drug, drug crisis that um, nice places like Harvard are immune to. Um, it's hitting uh, everybody, uh, every family in America is touched by this crisis in some way uh, or another, if not directly, then indirectly through friends or uh, family. And um, And we need to be much more aggressive at addressing it. And that was an interview with 2020 Democratic presidential candidate, Representative Seth Moulton. 
I really valued today's conversation, and I hope you found it informative too. You have been listening to The Hannah Hundle Show. I'm your host, Hannah Hundle, and I thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next week.